break. Take your Bibles with me this morning to John chapter 12. We're going to continue in the Gospel of John. You know, where God is moving, there's going to be opposition, right? Anybody experience that? If you're not experiencing any opposition, then I'm wondering what direction you're going. You're probably going away from God. And and I just want to encourage you to talk to a woman in the parking lot. She's going through a whole lot. And I said, you must be doing something right. <laughs> you must be in the will of God. And, and uh, it's not easy. You know, this is a warfare. Anybody remember that? This is not our rest. And one day we're going to lay our burdens down for good. And we're going to be in glory with him. And we will have rest for all of eternity with our Lord. But on this side of heaven, you got to expect tribulation. Jesus says, you know, you're going to go through tribulation, but be of good cheer. Listen to me. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He has overcome. Anybody can say amen to that? And he has won our victory for us. And and uh, we fight from a position of victory this morning. I just want to remind somebody of that. Right now, you're going through it. Right now, you got the health diagnosis. Right now, you have family issues. Right now, you're going through financial things. I'm telling you right now, even in that situation, God will be victorious. He has your back. And he's going to bring us to an expected end. And I just want to start off with that. But we're going to begin reading in verse number one. The title of the message this morning is The Anointing at Bethany. The Anointing at Bethany. Bethany, very familiar account we're going to unpack this morning, and uh, we're going to look at Jesus as the honored guest at a dinner, and he's going to get anointed by his servant. And I want you to begin reading with me in verse number one. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. In the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John, we are presented with witness after witness. Proof after proof, miracle after miracle to convince us of the one important truth that Jesus indeed was and is the Christ, the son of the living God. We heard the sad words in the end of chapter 11 that Jesus no longer would move publicly after that point. Of course, the religious leaders had it out for him. They put out the word that Jesus is to be uh, arrested and he would be put to death. And so this ended his public portion of his ministry. He was spending time in solitude with his disciples in Ephraim until we come to chapter 12. He makes his way back to Bethany, which is just a short two miles away from Jerusalem. Now, the time schedule is now in its last moments, literally days, hours, before Jesus would make his entry into Jerusalem as the Passover lamb. Could you imagine the pressure on him? Could you imagine maybe the weight of everything that he knew he would have to endure in just a few short days? 
It was crucial. It was critical. If that were you and I, the last thing we would want to do is to attend some type of festive event. The last thing that we would desire to do is to be around crowds. The last thing that we would want to do is to try to celebrate something. We'd all probably be, uh, you know, pulling back from the crowds. But Jesus chose to spend his last days on earth with those who were closest to him, those whom he loved, his friends. And I want to tell somebody this morning that if you are in Christ, he calls you friend and he desires to have a relationship with you that's ongoing, that's growing, that is intimate. And and I don't know about you, but it blows my mind that Jesus would want to have anything to do with me. I know me. I know my depravity. I know my shortcomings better than anyone. And yet, he still loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Are you guys thankful Jesus loves you? Hey, we walk in here, it may look like we have it all together, but I know some of you. (laughs) Some of you know me. (laughs) And we don't. And yet, Jesus loves us. And he desires that fellowship. So we see Jesus in this setting. He's going to be invited to a dinner. And we're going to unpack this. It's a, uh, an event took place at this dinner that is going to be talked about till the end of time. It's going to be mentioned everywhere that the gospel would be preached. And we're going to unpack it this morning. The three areas that we're going to learn about today is Martha's work first, Mary's worship secondly, and then third, we're going to learn about Lazarus and his witness. Let's unpack Martha's work. The Bible says that uh, Jesus made his way to Bethany, and verse number two, they made him a supper, and Martha served. I want you to see Martha is doing what Martha knows how to do best. She's serving her Lord. And this dinner is, of course, in honor of Jesus. I imagine that they were doing so because they loved him, because that they had received back their brother from the dead, and they were just so overwhelmed with gratitude to Jesus that they wanted to honor him with this feast, with this meal. And so Martha is the one who made it all happen. Martha's gifting was that, I believe, of administration, of of hosting, of hospitality. And she used her gift to bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something this morning. What is your gift? And how are you using it to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, I know there's men in this room. Uh, there's, a, there's a man I call often. He's a mechanic. <laughs> and I'm going to put him on the spot, Alfred. <laughs> Alfred, I don't see him here. I see his wife over here. But Alfred, I call him up when a, sing- when a single mom needs a new engine. <laughs> when a single mom's car is broken down or someone in our church who is in a difficult time financially, I text him up. He's there as soon as he can be there. And he follows through and he sometimes he foots the bill for a season until we're able to, of course, get that to him. And I'm, I'm so thankful for men like Alfred and other men and women in this church who have giftings, who have skill sets that they use for the kingdom of God. Aren't you thankful for these worship leaders? Every week we are so blessed. They are giving that service unto the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are all blessed by it. And I want to encourage someone in this room this morning. Oh, you have a gift. And how are you giving that gift back to the Lord Jesus Christ? Martha, she worked. You see, Lazarus was sitting at the table. He was eating. And Mary probably was contemplating something. But we hear that Martha served. She worked. And and I want to ask us this morning, are we truly uh, laborers? Are we truly working in some way, shape, or form for the Lord Jesus Christ? The place of this dinner was at a man by the name of Simon. And in Mark chapter 14, we learn that Simon was a leper. Simon the leper is how he is described, and I find it very uh, interesting. You know, leprosy was the most highly contagious disease of that day, and it was terminal. Leprosy would, of course, 
eat a person, uh, their, their extremities slowly. It was a, a skin eating virus that would, that had no cure. But now they are at this leper's house and, and there was obviously some relationship there between Mary, Martha, Lazarus and Jesus and this man, Simon the leper. And I can't help but think that possibly Simon the leper was healed by Jesus. We know Jesus healed lepers when he uh, was on uh, on his itinerant ministry. And I just want us to just get the picture uh, that here is a man who was restored by Jesus and now he's going to use his property, his place to honor Jesus. And we want to just be mindful of that. I'm going to ask you, what is it that God has blessed you with that you can use to honor Jesus with? So Martha's work, she is using her gifts as a hostess, as a worker to make this meal special for our Lord. And, uh, this must have been a joy-filled event. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus there. Lazarus back from the dead. It was quite an event. But I want you to notice with me, not only Martha's work, but I want you to see, I would say, the main event. Mary's worship. Look at verse number three. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a spikener. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Martha's work, but Mary's worship. Now, this account of Mary anointing the Lord Jesus Christ was, is also found in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. But I want us not to confuse this anointing with the one in Luke 7, which was done by a woman who was identified as a prostitute who anointed Jesus' feet in the house of another man named Simon, but Simon was a Pharisee. And this woman came into the house. You guys have heard the story. And, and they, they said, this woman, a sinner, he, if he knew who she was, they, he would allow her to touch him. And we know that Jesus said, let her alone, to whom she was, has been forgiven much, and she now loves much. And this anointing was, was also received by Christ. I want to, I want to tell somebody today, I don't care if you're a CEO of a company, a multi-millionaire, I don't care if you are a former prostitute, if you worship God from a heart that is pure towards Him, He will receive that. And I want to tell somebody today, hey, God isn't impressed with your resume. What He is impressed with is how much do we love Him? Do you love Him this morning? Mary is seen throughout the Gospels. This Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, she's seen as a virtuous woman. And she comes into the, that dinner prepared to worship Jesus. I want you to see a few things about her worship. Mary's worship was costly. It was expensive. It was extravagant. The way that she worshiped Jesus that day. You see, like David, Mary would not offer something to the Lord that cost her nothing. Oh, how we cheapened worship today. We've, we've made worship just repeating a few words or, or, you know, singing a few songs. And, and let me tell you, worship is, there's, there's praise involved in worship, but worship in scripture always costs something. You always brought a sacrifice. In offering, we offer the sacrifice of praise. We offer sacrifices of our finances. We offer sacrifices to God. I think about Abraham. He gave a sacrifice. He gave offerings to Melchizedek, which I truthfully believe was an Old Testament, Old Testament uh, appearance of Christ. And, and uh, he offered before there was the law, before tithing was even mentioned. He offered a sacrifice unto God. And, and I'm telling you throughout the scripture you're going to see a common thread of those who love Jesus who love the Lord they offer gifts to him it's very telling when a person doesn't give to the Lord 
when a person doesn't ever reach into uh, their resources and, and bless the Lord or, or bless people in the name of the Lord. I've been asking God for just opportunities to, to be a blessing to people, and he's given those opportunities. I, I had a young man from the gym. You know, we've become friends, and I'm working on him, trying to get him to the church. He texted me and said, hey, I need some help. They're going to shut off my cell phone. <laughs> and I helped him with that. I said, God bless you. I gave him more than he asked for. And I just want to, I want to ask you something today. Uh, is there any way that you are giving above and beyond to the Lord or to help other people who are in need? Where are those who are going to give it all to God? That it all is his and he can ask for it and we are willing to give when he says to give. Are we living that? Are we that type of a people? Well, Mary, she gave a worship to the Lord that was costly. It was an oil of spikenard, and this was a very fragrant oil. It was from the roots of a plant herb from northern India. It was so expensive. It was often imported in a sealed alabaster flask or a box, and it was only to be opened on special occasions. And her lavish gift, it was a whole pint of it. Now, I want you to get the, 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 the picture of how expensive this was. The Bible talks about it here in just a few verses. Judas had already calculated the value of it. <laughs> it was 300 denarii, which was a whole year's labor. This was that... This was Mary's life savings more than likely. Uh, you know, the average American makes about 54000 a year, uh, the last statistics say. So imagine you work for a whole year, you save up a whole year's salary, and then in just a few moments, you pour it out on your Lord. This is what she was doing. This perfume had value not only in numeric in the financial side of it, but also it would have been uh, something that was close to her heart. This would have been something that she uh, would have paid a great cost to obtain or would have waited along to receive. And I want you to just get this. She was not holding back anything from the Lord Jesus. Often we hold back from the Lord Jesus. God, you can have this, but you can't have this. God, you can have a few hours on Sunday, but you... But this, this is mine. I value this. And I want to encourage us, church. We've got to sometimes peel back the layers of our life and ask God to reveal our hearts to see what are we most passionate about. Is it him or is it other things? I know some people are going to rush out of here today. They're going to get home. They're going to get in front of that TV because they are passionate. They're going to scream and yell. They're going to go nuts over a pigskin being thrown in a few minutes, you know. But you see them in church, they're like this. Going kind of long today, Pastor Abram. And I find that very telling. Where's your heart? They'll go far and wide for other things. You know, they'll drive three hours for a concert. But if it starts to sprinkle outside, they won't drive 20 minutes to church. Where's your heart? You see, this expression of worship was given from a heart madly in love with Christ. And this is what we should be striving for. Mary's worship was costly. Not only did she anoint his feet, but if you combine the other gospel's account, we know that she anointed his head and and uh, so it was a pint. It was a good size uh, container. So she poured all that oil. She didn't say she didn't put a little drop. She she poured it all on him. The Bible says that the fragrance filled the room. And and uh, not only did she stop there, she got on her knees at his feet and she unwrapped her hair. Now, I want you to understand that a woman in that culture would never do that in public. It was seen as as something that was not dignified to let their hair down. But she didn't care. She was going to use her hair, which was their glory in that culture, to wipe the dirty feet of our Savior. She was going to do the common duty of a of a house servant and clean his feet with this expensive oil. She humbled herself to bring glory to God. And I'm telling you something today. 
The reason why many of us don't worship like this is because of pride. We, we don't truly realize what we have in our relationship with Christ. You don't realize what Christ has done for you. Because if you did, you'd worship and I'd worship like this. Our lives would be signified by the fact that the King of Kings died for us. See, Mary understood something. She probably understood that Jesus was going to take a few more days with them, but then he would walk into Jerusalem for the last time and suffer and bleed and shamefully die naked on the cross for her sin and for my sin. She understood this, and, and so she's anointing him. This would be her last chance to pour out her worship on him while he was there. I just want to say to someone today, have you lost your first love? There was a time when you were so in love with Jesus, you couldn't wait to get in his word. You couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait to give to him. You couldn't wait to serve him. But now, when you get around to it, oh, I know this is convicting because I was convicted. <laughs> and um, we've got to look at this and do some, some inner uh, searching in our lives. Mary's worship was costly. Every time you see Mary, she's at Jesus' feet, right? She sat at his feet when she learned from him in Luke 10. She's at his feet learning while Martha was working. <laughs> in John 11, she fell at his feet at Lazarus' uh, mourning time, when they were mourning the death of Lazarus. And then she here, once again, anoints Jesus' feet. She's honoring Jesus. She's at his feet. Spurgeon said this, you must first sit at his feet, or you will never anoint them. He must pour his divine teaching into you, or you will never pour out a precious ointment on him. And I'm telling you, as I read this Bible, and I come across the reality of heaven and hell. As I read this Bible, and God shows me who I am, a wretch, who deserves to be banished from his presence forever, a wretch who deserves judgment. And yet Jesus loved me. He died for me. He shed his blood for my sin on Calvary. Oh, you know what that does for me? It, it makes me love him more. It makes me want him more. It makes me desire him more. And most Christians, they don't, they don't spend time at his feet and it shows. It shows, oh, I told the earlier service that God has called me to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Some of you are comfortable being distant from Jesus. You're comfortable being lukewarm. What does the Bible say about lukewarmness? God is going to spew you out of his mouth eventually. He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Where is the passion in this room? I'm going to ask you again, where is the passion for Jesus in this room? Is there somebody in this room who loves Jesus with all their heart? And whatever Jesus would call you to do, you'd be willing to do it, even to die for his name. Oh, God forbid we get cold and callous and we keep going through the motions week after week while America dies and goes to hell because they can't find real Christianity. This here is real Christianity. God, whatever I am, whatever I have, it's yours. It's yours. You are worthy of it all. Yeah, we sing it, but do we live it when we leave here? God, help us. I'm guilty. You are too. Mary's act of worship was pure love on her part. She knew Jesus would soon suffer for her. I want you to notice the room was filled with fragrance. You know, when real worship takes place, the atmosphere changes. <laughs> the room is different. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm going to be, hey, God, God, is this you? Okay. The atmosphere in the first service was vastly different than the second service today. A lot more of his presence in the first service. You know, I know why. I saw women and men who were sitting at his feet this morning, 6 a.m. I'm going to keep saying it.
vastly different. We come in two minutes before service. We rush in, check the kids in. Hey, I'm convicting somebody, right? And we think we're just going to get in it. We're going to rush into his presence. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Oh, you say, Pastor, we always have this presence. He never leaves. Yes, I, I agree. But there's something tangible when we are truly worshiping him. We are truly sitting at his feet. We are truly in love with him. There's a different mm. Worship is costly. It's going to cost us something. When are we going to realize that? It's going to cost us something. It's going to cost you some sleep. Oh, God had me up at 2 a.m. this morning to sit at his feet. Just to wait on him. And, I, and I'm going to be honest. You can ask my wife this. I have not been feeling good. I have not been the, the whole last couple of days. And it's not been feeling well, and, but God, he's worthy of it all. He is worthy of any sacrifice he may call me to give or you to give. And I'm just here, just maybe foolish enough to, to believe that if we would become that as a body, if we would be a church filled with worshipers who worship in spirit and truth, that God might show up and show out. Jesus came to that dinner. He knew what was going to take place. His presence. We worship him. Mary's worship was costly. Mary was giving Jesus his roses before it was too late. You know, so many people bring roses to people at their funeral, right? She was giving it before. This was spontaneous, but it was also planned. It was personal. She was unembarrassed. She didn't care who saw her unravel her hair and clean his feet with it. Oh, I'm telling you, you could have felt it in the room. You could have smelled, you smelled the, the fragrance of her praise in that room. Oh, if I could have just been a fly on the wall in that room. I'm sure you could have heard a pin drop as she did this. I'm sure there were probably audible gasps as she cracked open that expensive perfume. Oh, but Jesus was worth every penny of it. Who believes that he's worthy of it all? Who believes that? Change the atmosphere. But I'm telling you, wherever there is real worship, there will be critic. Critical hearts that get upset. Mary's worship was costly, but it was also criticized. I want you to see her extravagant worship was viewed as an extreme waste by none other than Judas Iscariot. Look at verse 4. But one of the, his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. This is the first recorded words of Judas in any of the four Gospels, and he starts this criticism. He objected to in his view, this waste, he said that this should have been sold. He was hoping that he, was, he wanted it to be sold so it can go into their money bag so that he could steal it. He was a thief and he had his own desires. Not, he was not thinking of the poor. But I want you to see, worship, true worship always offends the critical hard hearts. I remember a few years ago, we were going to have a worship leader come, Kim Walker Smith, and I guess there were some who didn't agree with that in our church, some core families. And, um, you know, of course, we, we talked to her. We, we asked about some of the questionable things with, with Bethel and others that she was no longer associated with. But, um, you know, it started a whole big issue in the church. There were several families who left because 
we invited her to come and say, if, if she comes, we're out. I remember one family in particular, they didn't like it when we would spend extra time in worship in here. And, and, and they said that, you know, it felt demonic was their words. As we would press in and we, you know, we, you know, blessing would be hanging out on the song and just praising God. And we're all engaged and the altar is full. And they said, you know, it just felt eerie. It was uncomfortable for me. That family didn't have a problem working, but worshiping was not something that they wanted a part of. And let me tell you, the critical hearts come out when you start to, to call out the deeper things. When you start to talk about worship, real worship and prayer meetings and fasting and the deeper life, you, you'll see the, the high-minded, critical hearts start to rear up. And I'm, I'm just preaching the truth. And this is what happened in this setting, too. Uh, you see, Mary's worship made those who were lukewarm, who were half-hearted, and especially Judas, who was unsafe, it, it made them uncomfortable. would be to God that we'd be so in love with Jesus that it would make unbelievers uncomfortable. <laughs> that it would cause those who are living in sinful lifestyles to, to feel uh, you know, a little agitated by the, the reality, the, the, the genuine passion that we have for God. And I want to just say something. Hey, if you are, have been criticized by someone because of your love for Jesus, you're in good company. If you are, are in uh, you know, right now a season where you have a spouse who isn't saved and they don't like it that you're at church so much. They don't like it that you love Jesus and you want to put him first. I want to tell you, you are in good company. Just keep worshiping him through the criticism I promise you one day many of those critics will come to you and ask you why you're different what is it with this Jesus that you love and serve I promise you Mary's worship was criticized not only the Judas but we read in Mark's gospel that the others begin to follow Judas uh, his, his line of thinking they begin to say something out loud they, they were publicly criticizing and rebuking Mary. And I want you to see Satan's tools can work even within leadership. <laughs> he can influence someone's heart to cause disruption. I've learned, and you know it's very telling, those people who, I hate to keep bringing it up, but who were critical of some of the decisions that we were making, it was not enough for them just to leave quietly. Because they disagreed. They had to talk to someone else and say, hey, I'm leaving. I remember another situation, same thing. Had to rebuke a guy who was a false teacher or whatever and infiltrated our men's group. And uh, I remember sitting over here at Jack's. You guys don't get to see the back. One day, I, I think we could, the pastor and I could have a reality show. <laughs> <laughs> More so pastor, but... And you can just sit in on some of these these things, you know. I'm sitting here at, at Jack's with one of our other elders, and and I had to rebuke this this man and say, you, you can't come back. <laughs> say, Pastor, you guys do that when it gets to that point. And um, <laughs> confrontation is part of leadership, and uh, I, I I usually do not like it. Um, but I'm learning. Like you can't be a passive leader. Passive leaders, the the, the sheep are going to be preyed on. You know, you're, you're called the under shepherd for a reason. Anyways, this wolf was coming in, and some of you are in here who who went off with him for a while. I'm gonna be honest. I called several families and said, "Hey, this is what we I've come to know about this individual. This is what he's doing. You know, they were critical of us so that they could get them to come and be a part of his group. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you. It was tough, and, and um, but anyways, I, 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 we finished our conversation here at Jackson. Within two minutes, I'm getting calls from two of the other men who that man had already called to, to, to tell on me that I said that he couldn't come back and try to get them to. I mean, just it's yeah. Anyways, one day I'll share with you guys some more testimonies, but it is. 
the MO, it is the mode of operation for, for sometimes unre, unsaved people who are in the church. I want you to understand that there are people who are planted in the church who aren't believers. Hey, not everybody that comes to this church is a believer. I'm going to tell you that. In the first congregation Jesus had, there was an unbeliever. And there are some who are planted within the body of Christ just to sow discord. I know it. I've dealt with it. And I just want to tell us, hey, the criticism, hey, somebody comes to you tomorrow, starts to criticize the, the church or something that, you know, that they are, are up in a bunch about. Hey, say, hey, come, let's go over here. Let's talk to the, the pastor. Let's, go, let's bring them over. Don't don't give an ear to the gossip. Do not listen to those who will sow discord in the church. I'm telling you, we have to be unified in days that we are in. We can't allow the enemy to have any place in the house of God. I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm not talking to anybody here in particular, guys, just so you know. When Mary was criticized by the disciples now because of her... Worship. Judas, he had everybody fooled except for Jesus. He'd hid the darkness of his heart and his outward appearance. He looked like he was spiritual. He put on his religious facade and to hide his secret sin. And if that's you today, if you, you appear to be religious, but you're caught in a lifestyle of sin, I want to encourage you to repent. Repent. From the secret sin. We've been talking about it a lot on Wednesday nights. Just the consequences of sin. And um, God does not mock. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. You may think you're getting away with it. I'm, you, know, you may think that God is still uh, you know, accepting of that. No, my friends. He will judge sin. He will. So Judas criticizes. So do the other disciples. And it begins to catch some steam in the room, but I want you to see Jesus is going to step up and and give defense to to Mary. Um, I love John because he gives commentary. He was in the room more than likely. He he knows, of course, because hindsight is twenty twenty. He knows now that Judas was a uh, was the one who would sell Jesus, and he was uh, covetous and. A thief, and, and so he's able to give us that insight that Judas didn't care about the poor. He just wanted the money. And, uh, he used to take from the, the box and he would, he would take for his own. See, Mary gave openly and sacrificially. Judas wanted to hoard money for himself secretly and selfishly. He was the opposite of Mary. But I want to see Mary's worship was costly. Mary's worship was criticized, but Mary's worship was commemorated. I want you to see Jesus is going to uh, vindicate her in the sight of everyone there. Look at verse seven. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial for you, for the poor you have with you always. But me, you do not have always so under normal circumstances, anointing was something festive. It was something celebratory. But in this case, this anointing was done in anticipation of Jesus' burial. Jesus would indeed be what was prophesied in Isaiah 53, that he would be the suffering servant that, much, that would endure much pain and die for us and then also be buried and so this is what he says, leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. I will soon die for the sins of the world and be buried. And she's anointing me beforehand for that event. Jesus defends Mary's act of love and devotion. He says the poor will always be with us. You know, the circumstances that lead to poverty in the world, they are various. And they will always be here until I think the Lord Jesus lives here on earth. You guys understand that poverty only happens because of political and selfish reasons, right? If I went to some of your properties here in the Yellow Valley and I got one 
let me say, lemon seed, right? And I were to plant that and I were to cultivate that. And I would get a tree from that and seeds from that if I were to plant that, so on and so forth. You guys understand that we have enough resources on this planet to feed every person in the whole world. God has made it that way. One seed, out of one seed, we could plant orchards of orchards and, and fields, acres and acres and acres of wheat. I'm telling you, there's no one that needs to starve, but because of political and, ty- and tyrants and, and, and men, wickedness in high places, that's why there's poverty in the world mainly. Just to be real. As Jesus said, poor will be with you and you'll be able to bless them. And he encourages us to, to meet the needs of those who are less fortunate. But he says, me, you do not have always. I'm, I'm going to be going away pretty soon. And this is what he was telling to the crowd. And um, Mary's act of worship was a blessing to Jesus. She blessed his heart. He knew that there was one who loved him. And not only was her act of worship a blessing to Jesus, but it was a blessing on her own life. Jesus said in in Mark 14 and Matthew 26 that wherever the gospel would be preached, the story of Mary's anointing would be shared. He commemorated it. Throughout all the ages, this story has been shared. And this little woman made such an impact on Jesus that he gave her that position of honor, that wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ would be shared, her story would be told. Oh, would be to God that we bless God's heart to the point where he says, you know what, there's, there's somebody in the backside of the desert who loves me, and I'm going to honor their memory. You see, the name of the wicked shall rot. Nobody names their kids Judas. But you know, there's a lot of little Marys running around. (laughs) God will give you a legacy. What's your legacy going to be? What's your kids' kids going to say? I hope my kids will be able to say, Daddy loved Jesus. He loved Mommy. He loved us. He loved the body of Christ. And he was faithful to all of us until God called us home. I was sitting with a shut-in from our church. She recently got injured, and and uh, she was telling me the legacy of her husband, how after he got saved, he loved the Lord. They were married 60 years. Before he was saved, he was an alcoholic. He was not the best husband or father. But when God saved him, boom. There was a difference. Come on, anybody testify when Jesus saved you? Come on. (laughs) We're going to see it. Jesus saved us. We became a new creation. Oh, we still struggle. Oh, we still fall short. But we aren't the people that we were before. My God's grace. Not long after this, of course, Judas would go and make his way to the religious leaders and sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That was the price of a common servant in that day. Mary didn't hold anything back in her worship. She gave a year's worth of, her, of wages. She gave him an extravagant display of her love. Judas was the opposite. She... He sold Jesus out. Would be to God. I know, I know many churches who, I know many preachers who are like, like Balaam. Preachers for profit. Who sell out the church so that they can ride in the Rolls Royce. I never forget, I was working at Bank of America and there's a coworker. <clears throat> Sitting behind me, she was going to a church where they, they invited a prophet and, and they were fundraising for about six months for this prophet to come because he will not even come unless there's, there's a $20,000 appearance fee. And he came and she told me about the whole event, how they took about eight offerings in the service too. And then he left with his bag full 
in his Bentley. This happens. I know that's an extreme uh, example, but Judas was near Jesus for what he can get. He thought that he would be close to the Messiah so that when he would set up his kingdom that he would have high ranking. He'd be the treasurer in the kingdom. Mary, she went to Jesus for what she could give because she had already received everything that she could possibly need from him in salvation. I want to ask you, why are you here this morning? Are you here for what you can get? Are you here to offer worship? Are you here so you can feel good about yourself? You can leave and, oh, I checked that off my list for today. Are you here because you love Jesus? You came to worship him with your brothers and sisters. I want to ask you that. Is Jesus the honored guest in your life? So we see Mary's worship. We know it wouldn't have been possible without Martha's work. And I want to see lastly this morning, the witness of Lazarus. Lazarus had a witness. Look at verse number nine. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus who had raised, who he had raised from the dead. I want you to see the, the witness of Lazarus was something to behold. You see, Lazarus had been dead and Jesus brought him back to life. Oh, we too. We're dead spiritually in our sin, Ephesians chapter 2. And when we came to know Christ, when he saved us, drew us in, I'm telling you, he gave us new life. And he, he, he gave us a, a witness for him. I talked about it just a second ago, how uh, lives have been changed. There are countless uh, of billions of lives, I believe, that have been changed because of the name of Jesus, because of the salvation that he gives. And he raised Lazarus back up to walk in newness of life. I want you to see that what he's done for you and for me as well he has raised us from the dead so that we could walk in newness of life you we should not be walking like we were before christ and um oftentimes here i have the privilege of baptizing new believers or believers who are recommitting their lives to christ and i tell them of course i'm going to baptize you in the name of the father in the name of the son in the name of the holy spirit Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. When you come out of that water, the expectation, because you have professed the name of Christ, is that you and I will walk accordingly. Amen? Hey, that's where the rubber meets the road. They were able to come to Bethany and see a living testimony of Jesus and his power and his grace. And you know what? When you clock in tomorrow, you know what your employer should see? A living testimony of the grace of God on a life because you love him, you worship him, and you are completely different than those who are apart from him. Let's be that. His witness. He was a walking miracle. And because of that, he was in danger. <laughs> How many guys have experienced that? Because of my faith, I'm often, you know, I hate to use it for a better word, but persecuted. We don't really know what persecution is yet. No one's being burned at the stake yet in America. <laughs> but you may be alienated from family. You may be ostracized at work. You may get labeled, you know, different things. And people may say mean things to you. And because of your life, your faith, and you're in good company, they wanted to put Lazarus to death. Look at verse 10. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. So they were going to have Lazarus head along with killing Christ. And Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. If you identify with Christ, oftentimes you will be in harm's way. If you're never in harm's way because of your relationship with Jesus, I would, I would check myself. <laughs> his witness. You know that there's no recorded words from Lazarus in the New Testament? But his life, 
was an effective witness for Christ. I want you to see it, verse number 11, and we're done. The chief priest wanted to put him to death. Why? Because on the account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Hey, would be to God that we would live in such a way. I've heard it said this way. Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen to me. There are people in here. I know you you believe God. I see it. I know your husband left and you're still here worshiping. Oh, let me preach. I know you're going through it. I know the doctor didn't give you a good diagnosis, but you're still in the trenches for God. And let me encourage you. It'll be worth it all. We used to sing an old hymn when I was in seminary. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow he'll erase. So bravely run your race until you see Christ. And that's what keeps me getting up here every week. Even though sometimes the pressure is immense, I'm telling you, because one day I'm going to see him. One day I'm going to bow before him. One day I'm going to sit at his feet and I'm going to see his face and I'm going to see the scars in his hands and his feet and, and his side. And I know my Savior lives. And I'm telling you, we've got to look forward to what's ahead because that's the only way we'll make it. To say that you have eternal life, you, you don't know. That when you take your last breath, this side of eternity, that heaven will be your home. You don't have the assurance of the Holy Spirit. You are unsure of your destiny eternally. Well, today you can be sure. You can settle it once and for all. You can call on the name of Jesus and he will save. It's that simple. Salvation is the miracle of the moment. 